2: Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. This is Hour 2. Carmen is away here this week, and I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner, filling in for today as well as tomorrow and Wednesday. Glad to be back in the host chair with all of you listening and believers around the country. And we're joined at this time by Dr. Linda Mintel. We're going to bring her in a little early because, Dr. Mintel, we are talking during the break a bit about some of the troubling news headlines, and we cover some of the news often at the top of the hour and, of course, waking up this morning to various shootings around the country and just the difficulty. It just... It gets so much to process. It's so difficult. You're a psychologist. You obviously are a counselor. When you wake up in the morning, how do you process these things? I just think about all the people listening and are maybe a bit disheartened again this morning.
3: Well, I think it's the chronicity of it. We, we, It's like you said, Peter, we just keep waking up every day to more and more bad news, whether it's the coronavirus and the statistics and the rise again in a lot of these states. And then we hear all about the violence and the unrest. And so many times we feel helpless and we don't know what else to do. And I know as believers, we, we pray and that's always a good thing. But after a while, if you get saturated in this news, I mean, it really is difficult to maintain a sense of Feeling okay after a while so sometimes i'll just i'll shut it down and i'll just go to prayer and i'll try to fill my mind with some things that are a little bit more positive but and that's not putting my head in the sand it's just that Mm. after a while there's only so much you can take um you know i watched last night i watched the movie just mercy um it's an excellent movie it's a true story um about uh racial discrimination in the south and um you know after i got done with that i was like oh it's just a lot. you, know, yeah. you could, It forces me to my knees, but it's a lot to process. So I think we're kind of at a tipping point with we've all been restless and confined. We're not able to do the things that we normally are able to do that would normally maybe get some of our energy out or calm us down a little bit. Um, and we're, I think everybody's just at a tipping point. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a scary time. If you, if you didn't know that the Lord is still in control of everything.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And of course the social isolation makes it, uh, it's understandable. Obviously we need to do it, but it makes it difficult. And I was with a physician last week who said that mask wearing, and again, supportive of mask wearing, but uh, mentioning that when you're seeing people on masks all day long, that even your amygdala is firing danger, 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 you kind of can't help it. You can be supportive of the mask itself and yet be sort of in this place of danger. It really, again, from a perspective, of psychology it really does wear on us
3: it does, and i I know I would not want to bore our audience with something called polyvagal theory they'll listen to that click <laughs> off, off right now but but one of the things about that theory is that when you are under intense stress, which does either fire that fight or flight kind of response in people over time, one of the calming factors of helping you with stress is social connection. And there's a part of our our anatomy that gets activated in social connection that actually helps us calm down from that that fight or flight feeling or even that shutdown feeling of freeze that we get. Um, And it helps us kind of calm down and it, it works to kind of balance all of this danger versus perceived danger versus stress that we're under, uncertainty. And so when we can't socially connect, it's really tough. I, I would listen to a really great podcast the other day by Tim Keller, who most people know as the yeah. former pastor, Church of the Redeemer, and Francis Collins, who's the the head of NIH, the National Institutes of Health. And they were talking about where is God in the pandemic. But in that process, Tim Keller was talking about, he said, you know, after 9-11, I mean, it was so devastating in New York City, but the country came together, they were sending money to New York City to help rebuild, the church was out there, they were at people's homes, they were touching people, they were providing meals, they were praying with people, putting their hands on people and, uh, you know, in a way of comfort and soothing. And he said, this epidemic is just so different, because the church in some ways can't do what the church normally does. Yeah, And so we're not able to provide that sense of connection in the same way. And I know we try to do it online. We're doing the best we can. But there's something physiologically so much more powerful with touch and face-to-face contact that we're not giving. And I I do think that's a part of why this has been more difficult, because it's hitting every community in some way or another. So many more people are affected. And it's chronic, and it's unpredictable, and it's uncertain. And those Mm. are really three for when stress gets difficult to manage.
2: Yeah, that's great stuff. Thanks, uh, Dr. Mintel. We'll be back in here in just a minute. I want to get even a little further into this when we talk about the disruption of routine in the midst of all of this as well, and even getting back into some of the routines of maybe attending church. I know Paul Perot talked about being able to be on site at church this weekend and yep. what that meant. So it will be a lot to cover when we come back. And during the break, I am going to Google polyvagal theory and come back uh, with, with some information for our listeners on that regard. So more to come here with Dr. Linda Mintel. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for the day for Carmen LeBurge. This is my fight. That is one of my favorite songs from Rachel Platten here, the fight song introducing Dr. Linda Mintle, who we've already been talking a little bit this morning about the psychological impact of what this virus has been doing to us. And polyvagal theory, Dr. Mintle, in that ever unhelpful resource, Wikipedia, says that it's a collection of evolutionary, neuroscientific, and psychological claims focusing on the vagus nerve. And it goes on from there, I'm still lost. Can you you put this in like Capstone terms for me? Because I don't get this deal.
3: Well, it's, it's actually very helpful. What, what, how we use this in real life is it helps you understand your nervous system, your automat you know, your, um, your, how you react to stress and how your nervous system reacts to stress. And so a lot of people have heard about, you know, when you, when you perceive danger, you see something, or you're very stressed by something because you think it's a threat, you know, one part of your nervous system goes into pushing on the the pedal and getting you activated and another part of your nervous system i won't use the big terms to, to confuse people but it basically puts on the brake but there's this vagus nerve in, in a system in in that brake system that is really uh important it, and we help It's kind of helps us understand and when when we get into a stress situation there are things in our nervous system that really can help kind of help balance that brake and gas pedal thing that goes on and so the vagus nerve which is one of the 10th cranial nerve in our in our in our nervous system um, is really affected by our social connection. Mm-hmm. It's called the social engagement system. And it's really affected by that. So people don't realize it. But when you're in the middle of threat, um, if that's why people get together in groups, that's why groups protest and groups get together when there's stress and unrest, because You want to, you want to gather and you want to look at each other and and it calms you down because our brains are wired for that type of connection. So when we meet together as a church, and this is why the body of Christ is so important, because when we're, when we're looking at each other face to face and we're calming each other down is what we're actually doing. We're in community and that social engagement in times of stress is really, really important. And that's one of the things I've been, I've been concerned about, um, because of the incredible loneliness that people are feeling and the isolation. I'm I'm reading another book called togetherness, which was written by one of the former surgeon generals, um, of our country. And it's just a, a, you know, a book about when you're lonely and how loneliness impacts all parts of a person to the point of people getting depressed and sad. And, um, you know, they need connection. We need connection. So, we, we have to find ways during all this difficulty to still maintain our relationships. Just really, really important.
2: No, it's absolutely fascinating the idea that our biological experiences in life are deeply impacted by things that are intangible or immaterial, like our social connections or our psychology. And and I know, Paul, you had a chance to be in church uh, over this weekend here for maybe the first time on site with people. What was that like? Uh, it was
0: wonderful. I yeah. guess it's short. I mean, especially because there's a a woman that my wife and i know um her husband just a few about a week or so ago passed away she's yeah. an elderly lady she and her husband just it, it, okay we weren't supposed to hug but we couldn't not <laughs> and it was just we we were just great grateful to see her grateful to see others again it, it was very <laughs> What can I say? Awesome.
2: Yeah. And Linda, that sense of connection, too. I know we were with family members yesterday and and we asked, can we hug one another? And just even that physical touch, that physical, physical embrace, it has to do something for us in the midst of all of this disruption of our routine.
3: It does. And it, it is, it, it does activate that physiology that we're talking about. And that's why it's so difficult. I, it's so weird. I've been, I've seen my son now he's in a, in one of those professions where he's an essential worker and he's had to be with people that are maybe not protected. And so when I see him, I can't hug him and I'm going to be with my daughter this next weekend. And I, and we're going to, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm picking her up for the airport for the first time, which we're all like, what do we do with that? Yeah, And you know, i With physicians and I had two physicians over for dinner in a social distancing dinner the other night where they were at way end of one table, way out of the other. We were really careful because we just can't go without this connection. But they were saying, you know, you can have six doctors in the room and they all have six different opinions about what you should or shouldn't do. And it's really confusing with this connection part. Like, do you hug? Do you not see people? Are they asymptomatic carriers? Am I exposing myself? Then if I if if somebody gets COVID? Would I feel totally guilty? I mean, it's the conversations around our family relations and our friend relations has been really difficult. And and there, it's, it's also creating a lot of conflict with people because if people don't agree, then they get mad. I mean, I walked into a store the other day and not one person had a mask on. And I, I have to tell you, I was a little mad I mean, we did two shows with a physician over the weekends, the past two weekends on, um, you know, the importance of wearing masks. And this isn't just some funny, you know, some ridiculous thing that you need to do until we get control of this virus. Um, And so I had to deal with that. You know, I'm kind of like, I'm mad at this, but, Mm -hmm. you know, people have their own freedom and rights, but it's tough. And it's hard for Americans, I think, to always do something for other people, (laughs) rather than thinking about Mm -hmm. themselves. But But I get it because we're all just getting tired of all this. We're just getting, we just want things to be normal, whatever that may be right now. Right, yeah. and,
2: and to your point, we were just uh, laying in bed last night about 10.30, and my wife and I, and then we got a text from downstairs from my daughter who just said, hey, can I have a friend over to sleep over tomorrow night? And we were just mystified, Dr. Mentor. We, we thought we don't know what to do, and we laid in bed with literally no, no wisdom, no advice. We didn't know what to do in the situation. There's so much unknown, and it wears on us. There's so much disruption in our lives. And we come back from a short break here. After just a minute, I want to ask you about how do we deal with this disruption where our sense of normal, whatever, as you just referenced, our normal might be, has been disrupted. How do we begin to carve out new rhythms, new routines? How do we discern these things in a very new world? So, we're talking with Dr. Linda Mental this morning, regular contributor to Mornings with Carmen, about the psychology of the disruption and how we can find some psychological and biological health moving forward. Now- Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It's about 19 minutes past the top of the hour. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mintel this morning about many of the psychological dimensions of this disruption we've experienced in our lives. And Dr. Mintel, you're telling a story during the break, just even again, about some of the circumstances that we're faced with as our routines have been disrupted. And how do we figure out what to do in in a very new set of circumstances where we don't really have precedent for how to act?
3: That's right. And and I was telling you, I have the fortune of, of working with a lot of doctors because I teach at a medical school and um, I ask them questions all the time. We're constantly asking. And, and one of them was taking a vacation with their family and their their 20 year old daughter wanted to bring a friend on this vacation. And I said, well, how do you feel about that? He goes, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's a good idea. I don't know who she's been exposed to. I don't know if we should be doing it, but my daughter's mental health is kind of at stake. These kids have been so isolated and they really do need to have some kind of time with friends. It's just not the same when you're it's great that you have family that you can spend time with, but it's not the same as people their own age. And we really see that with younger children. Younger children play very different with their friends than they play with their family. Um, So, you know, there's this weighing of it and. We got down to the bottom line with you just pray, um, not that you just pray because prayer is powerful, but you pray every day I get up and I say, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. And we know that if we ask for wisdom, Bible tells us that God will give it to us. He'll give it to us liberally. So I try to stay sensitive to the spirit in my life and I ask for discernment. Is this something I should do um, or not do? And I and I try to get in a concert with my husband on this because he's a little bit more of ah uh, I don't know that we have to be so restrictive and I'm more like, well, yeah, but you're not sitting with these physicians all day long and reading all these articles, you know? And so it's a, it's a combination of working together as a couple come to a point where you feel like, okay, we can live with this decision. We're going to take this a little bit. There's always risk. I mean, there's risk in everything that we're doing because we really don't know all the answers. And, and when that physician said to me, you know, I, I was talking about, we know someone who's uh COVID positive has been COVID, was COVID positive about a month ago, and then uh, was tested again about five weeks. It's probably been about five weeks, and she's still COVID positive. Now she's not having as much mm. symptoms. And I said, So what's that about? And this is a physician. He yeah. goes, no, We really don't know. We really don't know yet what that means. So we have to live with uncertainty. And I think in times of uncertainty, you really, you shouldn't just be in times of uncertainty, but you really dig into the 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 word for me. And, you know, Psalm 46 has been my go-to during this time where God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. I mean, that is it. He's our refuge. He's our strength. And we do have to go to prayer. I, I do think, though, Peter, it does help during this time um, to really set up some structure and try to find opportunities to Socially connect even more in creative and innovative ways. And you have to set up a structure in a family. I still get up at the same time. I still do my coffee, even though it's not at the Starbucks. I'm saving a lot of money, (laughs) right? A lot of money. And I'm finding out that I have a fraud there and I can make really good lattes myself. So it's be a permanent change. Sorry, Starbucks. Um, but, uh, you know, get up and get structure. But as I was working with the med students who were pulled off of their rotations and out of their hospitals, you know, week after week, they were losing motivation. And we had to come up with all kinds of ways to keep everybody motivated. And a big part of that is to continue to develop some type of routine where you exercise during the day, because that really helps get the endorphins in in your mood, you know, it really helps your mood, but you're, you're structuring your day so that you feel productive, you're getting some things done. And then you're making these intentional reach outs to people in your life that are really important. And you have to be really intentional about that. And people aren't used to doing that. You know, we're really busy, we're really distracted and we didn't spend as much time with our friends and our family and i think that has been one of the good things that has come out of this pandemic is more intention in terms of our relationships
2: yeah and if we take some risk in terms of trying to make those connections again it doesn't have to be perfect every time right we can learn from that we're all in this learning curve in terms of understanding how do we interact moving forward but maybe not necessarily just live in the fear that keeps us isolated but just say why don't we just take one step and, and be as careful as we can but but to get connected again and not be careless as as you have mentioned but even just taking a step forward and some of this can help us continue to move forward together
3: Yeah. And I, you know, I went out to a restaurant for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think I would do it, but we went in, there was, they were, everything was really spaced. Now I know the server has to be doing whatever they're supposed to be doing to stay safe and you have to trust that they're doing it. But I thought, you know, Uh, It was a it was a family run business of these wonderful people that we know from El Salvador and they were really struggling. We went in for takeout a few times during the pandemic and they were almost going to lose their business. So we felt like we wanted to support them. Yeah. So. We're telling our friends, go, at least do takeout. But we went in and tried to encourage them. And my husband even talked to them about some small business loans and where they could find them and some resources, which I think is also part of this, is helping each other with resources and problem solving with people rather than just people sitting there feeling hopeless and like they're helpless and there's nothing they can do. Helping each other problem solve. We were aware because our son has a business, we were aware of a lot of resources, and we we have a friend who's a financial consultant, a financial planner, and he had given us a ton of links. So we were trying to help this family with some resources and make sure that we support them during this time. Now, was it a little bit risk? Yeah, it was. But we we used our sanitizer when we were when we were in there. We sat in a space table. We made sure we weren't near each other. You know, we wore a mask when we were doing things and sanitized again when we left. And I thought, you know, it felt good just to be out again and be with people and helping somebody in the process. So I think we do have to make those decisions one by one.
2: Hmm. Well, Dr. Mental, I appreciate just the insight and the wisdom in that. I know we've been circling around a passage from Galatians 6 this morning a little bit about let's not tire of doing good. And and even some of these routines that we can enter back into can help continue to, to bring encouragement into that process that as believers, we can continue to do the best we can to shine light in the world. And that's what you do, though. I have to admit, Dr. Mental, you've sent me down this rabbit hole of polyvagal <laughs> theory. And I think the rest of my day is going to be researching what even, I didn't even say this word properly. So thanks for bringing a new word into my life.
3: (laughs) Hey, great. And and by the way, that scripture is my life verse. Don't grow weary in doing good. There you go.
2: I love it. Well, that's a good intersection for today. And again, a great encouragement for our listeners. And thanks for all you do on behalf of Faith Radio and just keeping us moving forward in the midst of all this difficulty.
3: All right. Great to be with you. Have a blessed day.
2: Me too. We'll take a short break here for some breakpoint and bottom of the hour news. And we'll come back for the last segment of this show. We'll be joined by one of our favorites, Dr. David Aikman. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the world events that maybe aren't getting covered quite as much in the midst of this pandemic. But with the news being dominated for very understandable reasons around COVID-19 and the racial tensions, not just in the United States, but are breaking out globally. I don't know about you, Paul Perot, but I sort of lose sight of some of the other just major headlines. The world does not stop in general, <laughs> no, and there's I, so much going on, even we, independent of that.
0: We get so insular about our big news items. Right. It's like, you know, there's big needs, big concerns worldwide. And, you know, as Christians, I think, you know, we got to keep our eyes open.
2: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the next conversation in light of that, because who better to help us walk through some of those global headlines oh, yeah. than Dr. David Aikman, right? I mean, here every Monday and talking about some of what's happening around the world. And I know we're going to chat a little bit about some of what's going on with North Korea and South Korea, because mm-hmm. there's ongoing tension there as well.
0: Exactly. And then China. and Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to lots more. <laughs> so stay
2: with us here on Mornings with Carmen. Again, one of our favorites, Dr. David Aikman, will be joining us to talk through many of the headlines that may be disappearing underneath, obviously, all of what's going on. Going on and so stay with us, and
1: we'll be right back. This is Max Locator. You can't control the weather, you aren't in charge of the economy, you can't unwreck the car, but you can do this. You can map out a strategy. Remember, God is in this crisis. Ask Him to give you a plan, two or three steps you can take today. Seek counsel from someone who's faced a similar challenge. Ask friends to pray, look for resources. Reach out to a support group. Make a plan. You'd prefer a miracle. You'd rather see the bread multiplied or the stormy sea turned into a glassy calm and a finger snap. God may do this. Then again, he may tell you, I'm with you and I can use this for good. Now, let's make a plan. You see, God's sovereignty doesn't negate our responsibility. Just the opposite. It empowers it. So trust God to do what you can't Obey God and do what you can. You'll get through this. This is Max Locato.
4: My name is Bond,
2: James Bond. And of course, that's one of our favorite intros because it means that Dr. David Aikman, who is the editor of Godspeed Magazine and a longtime observer and journalist on foreign affairs and does so from a Christian standpoint. Good morning, Dr. Aikman.
4: Good morning, Peter. Very nice to be with you again.
2: Yeah, very much looking forward to this conversation, Dr. Aikman. I know that there's obviously a lot of the headlines that are dominating the news around the virus and around the racial tensions, but there certainly are more things going on around the world. And I saw a headline. I didn't really dive into it very much, but it it sounds like tensions are on the rise between North and South Korea again over these past couple of weeks. So for our listeners who maybe haven't heard much about this, can you give us some insight about what's happening? Well,
4: yes, uh, a couple of things. The North Koreans blew up, Uh, a border post, or at least a consultation post, between North and South Korea on their side of the border. And that was so embarrassing that the Minister of Inter-Korean Relations in the South Korean government uh, resigned to... Take responsibility for this serious downturn in in relations between the two countries.
2: And where do we see that moving forward? Because it sounds like uh, this North Korea maybe even wants to bring South Korea back into a united Korean Empire. Is is that where we're headed at this point?
4: Uh, this this has been the objective of North Korea for decades uh, under the original uh, Kim Il Sung, and then his um. Kim Jong-il, and then the current president of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. So that objective has never changed. But they have always been concerned at sanctions against North Korea for various international crimes that North Korea has been involved with. And their economy is pretty weak at the best of times. And it's particularly weak under the current series of sanctions that South Korea uh, introduced in 2014 when the North Koreans sank a South Korean patrol boat. So the feelings are very high on both sides. So I think we can anticipate uh, further development probably in a downward direction.
2: Of course, we saw Kim Jong-un sort of mysteriously disappear from the scenes uh, maybe about a month and a half ago or so, and there's a lot of speculation as to his health and whether he was even still alive. And in the midst of that, we saw the rise of, I believe, his sister, correct, into a bit of national prominence in North Korea. What role is she playing these days?
4: Well, it's, it's difficult to see exactly, but uh, she has been prominent in opposing The recent propaganda balloons that South Korea has been sending, not through the government, but through private agencies, and these propaganda balloons, they carry Bibles, they carry face masks to protect people against coronavirus, and generally they're considered hostile invasions of North Korea by the South. So that has stirred considerable antagonism, and Kim Jong-un, the the North Korean president, is threatening to send propaganda balloons towards South Korea, and uh, he claims he's mobilizing students to do just that. So that needs to be looked at very carefully as well.
2: Well, turning our attention there from uh, North Korea and South Korea then, we head just to the south and a little bit to the east, and we see that there's a pretty significant border dispute going on between China and India at this point in time. It's been a long simmering tension, but this is another one that uh, seems to have some embers uh, glowing from it.
4: Well, not just embers. I would say a real flare-up because it's been about 40 years since there was a major war between uh, India and China, over the same border region. And on the whole, both sides managed to keep tensions in check. But recently, there was a, a, a struggle between Chinese troops and Indian troops in an area of the line of actual control. The line of actual control is indicates Uh, an agreed-upon border between China and India, which came into existence after the last uh, border confrontation four decades ago. So it's a line that should be recognized by both sides as the actual perimeter between the two countries. But in fact, we don't quite know how or why but apparently, 25 Indian soldiers were wounded in a fight that didn't actually involve shooting, but involved the apparently the North Koreans using, using spikes and sharp objects to try and physically get the Indian troops out of the area. And that is a very serious escalation of tensions between the two countries, and I don't think we're at the end of the
2: story yet. Is uh, and I keep hearing about the global rise of China as a as a national superpower. And are they capable, interior from an interior standpoint, financially and socially, of continuing to deal with the unrest in Hong Kong as well as fight a, a border war with India and the ongoing trade war with the United States? Of course, COVID nineteen seems to be making a second appearance in China as well. Do they have the capability in China to deal with all of this at this point?
4: Well, I think they do, at least, or they think they do. The indications are. Uh, that they have been on a fast track to displace the United States as the major global superpower, hegemon, all over the world by an end date of 2049, which is, of course, the 100th year anniversary of the communist takeover of China. And they had several programs In place to try and bring this about. The most important of them being uh, a plan to take over Taiwan, probably by force, because the Taiwanese will never agree to a peaceful uh, absorption of their political and social system by the communist mainland. So that looks, uh, in the long term, very And then the Hong Kong stuff is basically Hong Kong's rights that were enshrined in a bilateral agreement between Hong Kong and the People's Republic back in 1997, Uh, and then the Sino British agreement uh, with the British government that was giving Hong Kong back to China. That said that. Hong Kong would have the same civic and political rights that it had had under the British for a further 50 years, and that was in 1997. So we're talking about just a few decades before that agreement runs out. And the Hong Kong people have been very disturbed by a new security law that the Chinese people's consultative congress just enshrined, making it completely illegal or treasonous to have any public demonstration against um, the Communist Party control of China. So that is another source of major tension Mm. between China and the rest of the world.
2: Boy, and you talk about the timeline of 2049. It seems to me, too, that uh, if countries like the United States continue to crumble from within because uh, countries almost always fall as a result of internal division, hardly ever external pressures and forces. If that happens, there's going to be a vacuum sooner rather than later that China can fill.
4: Well, they certainly believe that uh, President Trump is being distracted from the current unrest in his own country and that he won't have the energy or the focus to respond to China. I think if they think that, they're making a big miscalculation, and I hope they realize that it's not going to work that
2: way. So always Dr. David Aikman, who joins us every Monday on here in Mornings with Carmen. And we've been talking a little bit about some of the events around the globe that aren't getting quite as much coverage these days. And Dr. Aikman, when we come back in just a couple of minutes, I want to ask you uh, about the English rugby team. I know that they're in your neck of the woods. You're in Ireland and uh, we're over in England. And there is supposedly a race to this chant that's been made. And I'd be curious to get your perspective on that next here on Mornings with Carmen. Swing low,
0: sweet chant.
2: It is about nine minutes before the top of the hour. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmela Burge this morning. We're talking with Dr. David Aikman about some of the global events. And Dr. Aikman... The song Paul Perot just played right there, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, is one of the most recognized African-American spiritual hymns. Uh, I think any of us that have been around uh, for longer than 20, 30, 40 years recognize that music. It's also really a, a commonly played theme and chant as part of the English rugby's union team, and it, it sort of just haunts the stadiums, and it's played very regularly. But recently, quite a bit of controversy around this. So tell our listeners what's going on there.
4: Well, what's going on is the Black Lives Black Lives Matter push into England, because there is obviously a certain amount of racism in England, which has been, or in the United Kingdom as a whole, which has been experienced by people from uh, African-Caribbean background because of their skin color. And this has taken an incredibly ideological pitch. With people demanding that any association with slavery or with the conditions of black people under slavery should be completely eliminated from the vocabulary of expression of ordinary English people, and the assumption that this song is somehow denigrated to uh, American or other blacks is ridiculous because. It's uh, it's affectionately regarded by everybody who hears it as a genuine expression of African-American life and passion and how it's associated in any way with racism. I cannot even fathom. I think this has become quite absurd. And there's another thing that's absurd. Uh, Some of the English... Uh, black athletes are taking the knee in in admiration or replication of Colin Kaepernick's taking the knee during the playing of the American National Anthem. Well, most British people haven't a clue who Colin Kaepernick is. And they're sort of dutifully taking the knee as though this is a sign of approval of the discontent of people of color against the repression, supposedly, of white Anglo-Saxon society. I think it's a case of complete obfuscation and misunderstanding at a cultural level.
2: And it seems to be making its way forward into uh, some of the life of, of England and, and the rest of the British Isles. I know I was watching a little bit of the Premier League yesterday with my son as, as soccer has made its way back into the scene there in uh, the British Isles. And one of the main teams, Liverpool, who's going to win the Premier League this year, they had Black Lives Matter etched or stitched across the back of their uniform. So this really is a movement that's heading uh, not just throughout the United States, but globally.
4: Well, that's right. Um heaven help the people of Seattle, who, uh, for whom a big chunk of the city has t- been taken over by thugs from Antifa and Black Lives Matter uh, combined together. It's a very unfortunate situation for the people of Seattle. The mayor of Seattle won't even allow police to go in and protect people's lives and property. I, I don't know how that's going to end.
2: Yeah. It, uh, is the impact in terms of the resistance to police, is that happening in the, in, again, outside the United States where you are, maybe in Ireland or in England? What What is the relationship between civilians and police in, in your neck of the woods?
4: Well, it's been pretty good in Ireland. I, I think it, it's still pretty good in England. But of course, there are bad eggs in police departments all over the world. And I don't think they're necessarily bad uh, eggs because of racist antipathy is basically because they are not operating as they should towards people they're taking into custody. So there's a certain amount of resentment by people of color towards what they consider unfair treatment, for example, being pulled over uh, and having a driver's license, uh, uh, examined by a police simply because the driver happens to be black, that happens in the u k as it does in the United States but um the attempt I think is to blend all of these problems globally together to be a sort of fantastic institutional cabal of people who want to keep people of color. And Blow people down, I I just think that's a complete miscalculation of what's actually
2: going on. Well, Dr. Aikman, thanks again for joining us as you do here every Monday, giving us some perspective of the global events. I know Godspeed Magazine is a great resource for people who want to catch more of the in-depth work and understand what's happening around our world. So great to talk with you again this morning.
4: Thank you for having me on. Have a wonderful week.
2: Yeah, you as well. We'll take a short break here and wrap up our show for Mornings of Carmen on the 22nd of June. I always appreciate that conversation with Dr. David Aikman, and if you're listening this morning and don't know some of the origin of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot that we were talking about in the last segment, we see that it's actually a story referring to the prophet Elijah's being taken to heaven by a chariot, and, and it, it's, a, it's a song of hope. It's a song of future. Mm-hmm. It's a song of we know that there's more ahead.
0: Yeah. I mean, Yes, it came out of a context of African American slavery. Of course. But in that, it was great to see the hopefulness they had in the midst of what was wrong yes fight for right but in the midst of the wrong no this is not the end
2: yeah absolutely and, that, and that's the heart of our faith i was just talking with my daughter yesterday again that there's so many things about our faith that we can write in pencil sometimes really dark pencil and then there are those things that we write in pen mm-hmm. and, and among those things we write in pen is that that tomb is empty and it does mean that mm-hmm. there is always hope and there's always future that even death is not the end of the story and as difficult as things are in our world, and they are obviously incredibly difficult. As believers, we're called to hold the light of that future, that there is always hope, there is always love, there is beauty that is waiting, and we're called to shine the light of our future into this present. So one more time as we wrap up the show this morning from Galatians 6, I encourage you all to not give up or or ever get tired in doing good. We'll catch you tomorrow here on Mornings with Carmen.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.